Now on Netflix. Inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. And welcome to episode 129. No. Yeah. 129. Yes. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Of yes. <laughs> Killer Hangover. I am Daffy Bettina. <laughs> you had a pause. So I was like, wait, did she forget her name? Is she having a stroke right now? <laughs> what is happening? Didn't forget my name. <laughs> Just forgot the episode number. And you forgot something. I else wanted you too. to introduce yourself, and then I was going to <laughs> profusely apologize to our listeners. Okay, well, I'm Beth. Okay, now back to you, you, Mom. <laughs> so I am on vacation. In fact, I just saw a whale jump in the ocean, and I am recording this. And Daffy Bettina forgot all the recording equipment that we use back home. So sound quality is off because my laptop is the one recording. I apologize. I was yeah. so close to tears when it hit me. Oh my gosh, I totally forgot. Oh, and then she texts <laughs> me. She texts me some pretty explicit <laughs> words, which I very, very rarely hear my mother say. <laughs> I was very put back, but I get this text from her and I was like, I don't know. I think it was in the I think it was like at night I was going to bed or I was in the middle of doing something with the kids. So I didn't text her back because I mean, there's really nothing we nope. could have done. We're nope. still going to record an episode. So I just I didn't text her back right away. She blew me off for 2 days, okay? 2 days. <laughs> hey, so I had just gotten you were back busy. from vacation. You that. It is so hard to go from vacation mode to mom mode like okay. that. <laughs> it's hard. So, yes, I'm sorry. I blew her off. But then when I did pick up the phone to call her, she was like, oh, I'm so happy you called. I thought you were so <laughs> mad at me <laughs> and you weren't talking to me because you were seriously so did. Mad at me. I thought, well, there goes the podcast. <laughs> I just blew it. <laughs> I am not that petty. <laughs> oh, Oh, yeah. man. So here we are, bad sound quality, and uh, we're four hours difference between the two of us right now. Beth is ready for bed, and I'm mm -hmm. looking forward to dinner. So and watching, and watching whales, whales jump, jump apparently. in the ocean. <laughs> there you go. All right. Back to reality <sighs> and my true crime. Wait, did you make a drink? Well, yeah. wait, hold. <laughs> You're missing my part. So I do have a cocktail this week. I did not make it. I was going to have Alex actually drink it for the podcast, but he's under the weather right now and I wasn't going to bother him. He's resting and watching football and under what the weather. What does that mean? So. What does that really mean, under the weather? Like, is the weather above him? <laughs> I know it's a saying, but have you ever thought where these sayings come from? Like, what does it mean to be well, now you're making under me think the about weather? What, what, what does that mean? Well, now you're making me think about it. I don't know. <laughs> under the if, weather. If you think about it, it's, 
It's really kind of silly. What does the weather have to do? <laughs> I don't know. Like, like under the radar? Like not. Mm. Anyway, go ahead. Well, shoot, mom. I don't know. <laughs> <sighs> okay. I was looking for a cocktail that kind of had to do with my story. And so I was looking at like house on the hill cocktail is what I was right. Googling. And there was like all these things that popped up. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's so cool. There actually is a cocktail called House on the Hill. So I'd click on the picture and I'd click on the blog post underneath it. And it would say 404 not found. Oh, this that one. Yeah. yeah. I've like, seen okay. that. <laughs> so then I go back to the next picture and I click on it and it said this blog has been removed. And these are different blog oh, sites. Dear. I checked out four different photos of House on the Hill cocktail and all of those blogs have been taken down. So I said, well, we're not doing that <laughs> cocktail because that seems like bad luck. It's <laughs> like bad juju. So I found this cocktail that's called Top of the Hill okay. cocktail. Okay. And I feel like now that I'm looking at it, that we've done it before. <laughs> uh Okay, so it's orange mm -hmm. juice, sweet vermouth, ice, pineapple juice, and orange bitters. And if we haven't done it, we've done something very similar. I don't know? think we've done that. I'm so mad that Alex is <laughs> under the weather because I really wanted him to try this. It says to add one dash of the bitter, of the orange bitters, shake with ice and strain in a cocktail glass. So it sounds like you just... Put it all together, shake it with ice and strain it. And enjoy it. it. And enjoy it. But the website's really weird, too. I got it from shotcocktailrecipe.com. Mm -hmm. And there's no description of the cocktail. There's just an ad for tuxedos. <laughs> <laughs> this is where we need you, listeners. Hopefully you're not feeling <laughs> under the weather. Give this cocktail a shot and let me know what you think. I don't know if I gave you the amount, but it was one ounce of orange juice, one ounce of sweet vermouth, ice, a third ounce of pineapple juice, and then orange well, That doesn't make a very big drink. Well, okay. I lied. The website says 1.33 ounces of orange juice, 1.33 ounces of vermouth, ice, a third ounce of pineapple juice, but I was going to make it easier <laughs> for everybody and just say an ounce. <laughs> Liar. Liar. <laughs> uh, okay. Okay. So that is top of the hill cocktail recipe. Give it a shot. Let us know what you think. Okie doke. And cheers. Okay. True crime from Missouri. And I am positive that most listeners know about this woman. But I wanted to kind of dig into it. First of all, I don't know why I keep talking about these horrible women. I mean... <laughs> I know you've picked a lot of women. Uh, I think I've only care. I've only covered like one woman. Well, you know, the giggling granny. <laughs> turns out that women are pretty nasty too. I mean, Tracy Richter, we both got off feeling so angry. And then I started doing research on Betsy Faria, Faria, yes, Betsy Faria, and found yet another manipulative evil woman. Pamela Hupp. I'm sure you've heard of her. There's a series, The Thing About Pam, with Renee Zellweger as Pam. I personally didn't see it. I want to see it, but I didn't want it to influence anything 
of this because it is a movie. Now, according to what I've read, it's it's pretty true to life. But again, it's Hollywood, and I didn't want to get any of that into this. Understood. <laughs> Understood. Pamela Newman was born in October 1958 in St. Louis. The Newman family lived in Delwood, which is like a middle-class suburb of St. Louis was. I don't know if it still is. The Newmans have four children, and Pamela was the third. According to her youth, her high school friends, she was fun, she was easygoing, and she was really popular. She was a cheerleader. Right before graduation, though, Pam found out that she was pregnant. Uh-oh. Yeah-oh. Her and her high school sweetheart had a shotgun wedding, which the Newmans, the parents, did not support. They were very religious. They did not support this at all. So while Pam's friends from school were making their way through college, Pam was changing diapers of her little daughter, Sarah. The marriage lasted only six years. and Soon after her divorce, she met Mark Hupp. They married and moved to Naples, Florida, where they had a son, Travis. The family moved back to Missouri in 2001, and Pam found a job at State Farm as an administrator. State Farm is an insurance company, where she got glowing reports from her employers. I mean, she was organized. She had everything going. I mean, she took care of everything, and the employers thought she, I mean, she did an excellent job. Uh, while working for the insurance company, she met Betsy Ferrari. Okay, it's a weird name, though. Faria. Betsy Faria. It's not Ferrari. So if I say Ferrari again, stop me. <laughs> I need to repeat. Okay. Betsy okay. Faria. And they became friends. From all accounts, Betsy, who was born Elizabeth K. Meyer, she was a hoot. I mean, she just loved life. She also loved music and was able to put that passion into play with her side gig as a DJ. Oh, I love it. She just had this beautiful smile in all the pictures. She's just, she just looks so happy. I don't know. That was my opinion. She was married to Russ Faria, and they had two daughters, Leah and Mariah. Okay, so she looked like she was having fun, and she did, but she was diagnosed with breast cancer. She went through chemo and, and treatments, and then it was in remission. So. Her and Russ decided to celebrate by going on a cruise. And right before they mm -hmm. left on the cruise, they found cancer again. Oh, shoot. They went on this cruise. And when she got back, it, the cancer had spread. So chemo again and, and everything. But this time it was pretty bad. So Pam no longer worked at State Farm. I'm going back to Pam. And she no longer worked at State Farm. She was on disability for neck, back, and leg pain. Okay, so she had quit working there. And her and Betsy kind of lost contact between the time that Pam left and Betsy got the cancer again. But as soon as Pam heard that Betsy had cancer, she popped up. She ran to her side to help out. She drove Betsy to her doctor and chemo appointment. She helped with household chores cleaning, doing dishes and laundry. In fact, she became somewhat of a fixture in the Faria's life. She was like almost always there. Not only was Pam helping Betsy out, she was also helping to take care of her mother, Shirley, 
who lived in a third-floor apartment at a senior's facility. Now I'm talking about Pam's mother. Pam took care of her mother. I was just going to say, okay, wait, is this Pam's mother? No, this is Pam's mother, Shirley, yes, and her father had passed on. She was pretty independent, Shirley was, but Pam visited often to share a meal with her mother and just chat or cook and clean. Now I know this makes Pam sound like a very generous, loving person on the outside. But inside, this woman was extremely manipulative and greedy. On December 27, 2011, Pam was helping Betsy out by driving her home from a treatment. Now, strangely, Russ was supposed to pick up his wife, but Pam was very, very insistent on helping her friend that day. Hmm. According to Pam's account, she dropped Betsy off, not going into the house itself. Yes, she did go into the house, but only for a few minutes. Wait. Yes, she did go into the house, (laughs) and she settled Betsy on the couch. for, And so she was there for 15 to 20 minutes. This is the progression of her story. Okay. I got it now, but at first I was like... Mom, did you really mess up? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Your name is Bettina. It's episode 129. (laughs) Pick a story here. I'm a doofus, yeah. Now, it was very well known, the Faria household, that Russ would go to a friend's house every Tuesday. I mean, that was like a set pattern. There he met up with three other friends and they would play games, watch a movie, just hang out, drink a few beers. Mm-hmm. So he did this every Tuesday. On his way there, that Tuesday night in December, he stopped at two convenience stores and bought two different things or filled up for gas or something. But he stopped at two convenience stores and bought separate things. Okay. Then he continued his 20-mile drive to meet his friends. Pings on the phone towers showed that his phone was where he said he was that night. He left the friend's house at around 9 p.m., stopped to buy a hamburger, then returned home only to find his wife on the floor. Oh, no. The first, and it seems the only thing he noticed, was that Betsy's wrists had been sliced, deep gashes all the way to the bone. Oh, he gosh. immediately called 911. The call just breaks your heart to listen to it. It just, it's so oh. awful. I mean, Russ is obviously in shock. He's crying, and he tells the operator that his wife is dead, and he thinks she committed suicide. Ugh, that's horrible. Now. Betsy had talked about suicide before because she just couldn't beat the cancer that was consuming her. And she was, she did have bouts of depression. So had she Mm -hmm. finally, I mean, had she, had she committed suicide? Not just talked about it, but actually done it. When EMTs and police came to the scene, they could see right away that this was no suicide. This was murder. Betsy had a knife sticking out of her neck. Yeah, that's not suicide. But I, I yeah. Holy cow. Yeah. Uh, well, we'll get into that. But the scene was very bloody. It turned out Betsy had been violently stabbed 55 times and had been killed between 7.20 and 9.20 p.m. Russ was immediately looked into. It didn't help that a smear of blood was found on a light switch and Russ's slippers were found in the bedroom closet with blood on the tops and bottoms of them, but investigators thought Russ acted strange on the 911 call and at the house. Now, I'm thinking, I don't think he acted strange at all. 
I mean, he was in shock. He was crying. He was screaming. He was, but, you know, what do I know? And he was acting strange at the house. How could he have not seen the knife protruding from his wife's neck? He must be guilty. Oh, I'm sorry. But just imagine this scene. You've had a fun night with your friends, like you normally do. Grabbed a burger. Everything's normal, right? You walk into the house. Right. And here's your wife lying on this bloody carpet on the on the floor, lying in this blood. And the first thing you see is her wrist slip all the way to the bone. Does your mind even go further than that? I mean, if you're in shock, does it take it all in? Well, if she was stabbed 55 times, I'm sure there was a lot of blood. Ex- exactly. I, I, I'm surprised he even saw the cuts on her wrists, let alone anything. I think her, blood her arm was kind floor. of thrown out. I mean, she was on her... She was on her stomach, but the arm was kind of thrown out, and that's why he saw the slits. I just, Mm -hmm. I cannot blame him at all for not seeing the knife sticking out of the neck. I mean, I just, anyway. But police, uh, inspector, um, inspectors, inspector Pousseau, um, (laughs) investigators (laughs) were like, no, it's a done deal. He, he, He must be guilty. And this was further reinforced with Russ's failed polygraph. And Betsy's best friend, Pam, who told police that she knew for a fact that Russ abused Betsy. In fact. Oh, for a fact. According to Pam, as a game, Russ would hold a pillow over Betsy's face and say, this is what it feels like to die. And hey, don't take Pam's word for it. Pam told the investigators, just look on Betsy's laptop. There's a document that Betsy had written. Investigators could read for themselves how horrible Russ was to Betsy and that Betsy had planned to leave him. Investigators believed everything Pam told them. They did indeed find a document that stated all of this. They looked no further than Russ for the murder. Russ was charged with first-degree murder and armed criminal action, and in November 2013, Russ was sentenced to life in prison plus 30 years with no parole. Even though his phone pinged out at his friend's house and everything else? Oh, that's to come. In all honesty, the trial was all kinds of screwed up. The prosecutor portrayed Russ as a cold-blooded killer. And his three friends that testified for him, well, they were in cahoots with him, said the prosecutor. Russ's phone pinged where it did that night because he left it with his friends. And his receipt for the hamburger on his way home, well, he didn't buy that. One of his friends bought it for him to cover up for him. And the convenience stops, you know, on the way there. Well, wasn't it convenient that he had the receipts for those two things and that he stopped at two different convenience stores? This is the prosecutor. Now, unfortunately, Russ's lawyers were not allowed to implicate Pam at the trial, even though... And these are bullet points, okay? Even though, one, Pam had insisted on dropping Betsy off that night she was killed. Now, remember, Pam was a, she was in and out of that household. She knew Russ went out on Tuesday nights. Sure. And even though Betsy had a ride lined up, oh no, Pam insisted that she was going to pick her up. Pam was the last person to see Betsy. Russ had no blood on him when EMTs and police arrived at the scene. Pam's phone record showed that she was in the area of the Faria's house 
for more than 30 minutes after she dropped Betsy off. Here's one. Five days before the murder, Pam had gone with Betsy to change the life insurance beneficiary from Russ to Pam. So now oh, Pam was the what? sole beneficiary of Betsy's life insurance policy of $150,000. And why couldn't they turn this on Pam during court? Because all the evidence, I put that in quotation marks, supposedly said Russ was the killer and they could not turn any evidence about of Pam being the killer. Not at that trial. Now, unfortunately, Betsy Ferraria was not the only victim of Pam's. On October 31st, 2013... Did you say fortunately or unfortunately? Unfortunately. Unfortunately. Okay. <laughs> un, 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 un. On October 31st, 2013, aluminum... Aluminum. That's another word that's tough to say. Aluminum railings on the patio, on Shirley's patio. So she lived three floors up. And the aluminum. Who's Shirley? The uh, Pam's mother. I'm sorry. Pam's mother, okay. Shirley. <laughs> going to the. Who's the new character? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, I'm with you now. <laughs> the railing, the spokes, I guess you would call it aluminum spokes that run up and down. One was missing, one yeah. was bent. I mean, it was all, it had been broken through. Now, the railing above mm -hmm. wasn't, didn't bend anyway. It was just these spokes. And Shirley had accidentally fallen from the patio, question mark. Oh, shit. The coroner shoot. thought so and ruled the death an accident, even though blood tests showed that Shirley had eight times the normal dose of Ambien in her blood. Okay. Now, here's the twist. On October 30th, so the day before, Pam had dropped her mother off after taking her to a doctor's appointment. She told the staff that her mother was not feeling well, and her mother didn't want dinner, nor did she want breakfast the next morning. Just rest, so just leave her alone. The next day, Shirley was found dead on the sidewalk, and Pam, well, she was set to inherit $500,000 from her mother's life insurance. Of course. Why doesn't that surprise me? Back to poor Russ, who is locked up in jail for life. He and his lawyer, Joel Schwartz, would not rest. They sent in appeal after appeal, and then the unbelievable happened. After three years in prison, Russ's verdict was overturned. Now that, like, never happens. It, yeah, that's like super rare. Yeah. And a new trial was ordered. On November 6, 2015, Judge Stephen Omer acquitted Russ of the two charges he had been convicted on. So that's even more rare. Do you know based on what grounds? He went over... Why he was acquitted? Okay, so there was no jury on this one. It was just a judge. Yeah. He went over all the evidence and he was like, uh-uh, just because... I think that's usually how appeals work but yeah plus then he looked into the police that were on the case or the uh, the the investigators <laughs> that were on the case and also the prosecutor he kind of looked into these people and he found out that they were not good oh so russ was a free man well free of prison but not free of the bloody sight of his beloved wife lying on the floor that will be with him forever 
Later, Russ brought a civil suit against the three police officers that worked his case, saying that they had fabricated evidence and failed to investigate the other obvious suspect. Oh, yeah, they hid evidence. They lost evidence. They, I mean, it was all kinds of messed up. It sounds like they didn't even look at all the evidence. They just kind of looked at him and that was it. So Russ was awarded $200 million. No, sorry, not two hundred million. He was wow. he was awarded two million wow. in an out of court settlement. So that even I mean, they didn't even go to trial. It was an out of court settlement. Yeah. Now eyes were looking at Pam up and she knew it. While being questioned by new investigators on the case, she had an answer for everything. Not that her answers made much sense, but she had an answer for everything. Oh, gosh. When asked about the life insurance, she said that it was Betsy's idea to put Pam on it. She wanted to make sure her daughters got the money, not Russ, who would just blow it. Pam told investigators that she was to put 100000 in a trust, and the other 50000 was to help the 12-year-old daughter of another friend who had died of breast cancer. Pam said she was just trying to help the girl with her loss, And she knew that it would have been okay with Betsy to do this. The 12-year-old never saw a penny of the $50,000. As for the trust for Betsy's daughters, Pam did set up a trust, but a revocable one, which she promptly canceled once Russ's trial was over and he was sentenced. The girls never saw any of the money. Oh my gosh. They filed a suit against Pam. Pam insisted that the money was hers. And the judge ruled that indeed it was hers because her hers was the only name on the life insurance policy. I mean, yeah, that's the only thing the judge can do. Betsy's daughters never saw a penny of this. I mean, morally, that's incorrect, obviously. But I'm just saying the judge its kind of out of the judge's hands. No, it totally like it's is. it's in Pam's name, it's in... Yeah, it's and in there Pam's was nothing name. written on the life insurance about it going to a trust for the daughters. No. As the, I mean, I think Betsy just trusted Pam and Pam said, oh, we don't have to put anything down. Uh, you know, I don't need this money. So I'm just going to, you know, I'll put it into a trust for the girls. I just wonder how she even manipulated Pam to, or how she, how Pam even manipulated her to do that, though. Well, let's go in and take it out of your husband's name. There were like that's two just... life insurances. So Russ's name stayed mm-hmm. on one of them. But Pam probably told her, Russ is probably going to spend all this money. The girls are never going to see anything. So the second life insurance, why don't you put my name on it? And I'll just make sure, double sure, that the girls do have this money. Something like that, that's, I'm guessing. That's just horrible. Uh, now, remember, Betsy was going through chemo. She was weak. I'm sure it was easier to convince her of something than it would um, a person not going through that strenuous treatment. Keep that in mind, too. And keep in mind that when Betsy was killed, she just had come back from the chemo treatment. So she was very weak and sick. Mm. As the investigators were questioning Pam about the money, she asked them in a smirky tone, which she constantly had, wouldn't it be easier to kill her mother for $500,000 or her friend for $150,000? And really... I don't see $150,000 as being a lot of money, is what Pam said. But why in the world did she throw her mother in there? It it was a really weird statement, and the investigators wrote it down because it was just so weird. 
Yeah. It's almost like she's confessing to both of them right there. I know. Pam further went on to tell the investigators that she and Betsy were not only the best of friends, but they also had a sexual relationship, Mm. which angered Russ. So again, she's trying to throw the death of her friend onto her husband. Russ said right away, "Uh -uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. There's no way they would have had a sexual relationship. There is no way. And his wife was definitely not interested in women in that way. And Pam had said, <laughs> Pam said, well, uh, we're not lesbians, but we're just best friends that have feelings for each other. And so we took it a step further. But she made it a point to say that neither one of them were lesbians. <laughs> Pam kept saying that they were best friends, but Russ told the investigators he knew that Betsy had many other friends. Pam wasn't necessarily her best friend. Mm -hmm. Pam's lies were starting to unravel. She had to change the course back to Russ. The plan she came up with was beyond evil. On August 16th, 2016, 911 got a call from a woman saying that there was an intruder in her house. The recording of this call is absolutely chilling. The woman was, of course, Pam, calling for, quote, help. She's really calm in the recording and in a calm voice she's saying that this intruder who's a man is coming toward her. You can hear the man's voice. It's kind of garbled. You can hear it but you can't make out what words he's saying. Pam asks for help okay. and then you hear five pops from a gun. I mean you hear all of this on the recording. Pam is still asking for help. When police and EMT arrive, they find a man lying dead in the hallway by the master bedroom. Searching the dead body, police find $900 in one pocket, a knife in the other, and a note which read, quote, Kidnap Pam, get my money from her bank, then kill her. It was so great that he had a note in his pocket. Supposedly, the note was signed R.F. Russ. So... Russ and the last name that you can't pronounce. Faria. Russ Faria. There you go. (laughs) Pam told police the man jumped into her car when she arrived home. He threatened her with a knife, insisting that she take him to her bank to take out $100,000. Pam fought the man off and was able to run into her house, but the man followed. She quickly ran into the master bedroom, retrieved a gun, and she shot the man as he advanced towards her. I just kept shooting, she said. (laughs) Doesn't this remind you of my other story? Oh, that reminds me. (laughs) Yeah, it does. Okay, but like, who was this guy? Like, there's obviously a real intruder. Like, come on, come on, tell me. Is there really? The dead man was Louis Gumpenberger, a 33 year old man with two children. Now, the glitch in this whole story that obviously Pam didn't know was that Lewis had been in a car accident in 2005, which left him physically and mentally disabled. Since the accident, he had taken odd jobs to support his family, but nothing too strenuous because he had lost the use of his right side, not even being able Mm. to hold a spoon steady while eating. Not exactly a man that could jump into a woman's car, hold a knife to her, then run into the house following her. I mean, it's physically impossible for this man to do that. Yeah. So what's the real story? 
Police were helped by a woman, Carol Alford, who came in to tell them her story. Five days before Lewis's death, a woman drove by her house as Carol sat on the front porch. The woman backed her car up into Carol's driveway. She asked Carol if she would like to help with a segment of Dateline, just a recording like a 911 recording, and she would be paid $1,000 for this really small segment. Carol agreed. I mean, who doesn't want $1,000? Jumped into the car. But as soon as the car started backing up, she got a really bad feeling. She told the woman that she needed her shoes. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. I'm very lost here. Some random woman pulls up to another woman's driveway and says, do you want to help me with the recording for Dateline? Yeah. And then you get in their car. That just sounds, I mean, she must have really enjoyed true crime and was like, heck yeah, I want to be a part of Dateline. Well, but that's just, let me explain. I don't understand. The neighborhood that this woman lived in and that Lewis lived in was sort of uh, a not wealthy part of the town and impoverished. Okay, so $1,000 was a lot of money. Sure, I see that. So basically, it's like $1,000, I'm not listening to the rest, okay? $1,000 for a segment on Dateline? Yeah, I'm going to do this. As I said, they were backing up, and the woman's like, "Mm, okay, okay, I'm not going to do this. So the car stopped, um, and Carol runs inside her house and grabs her phone. She didn't even have her phone with her. And told the woman her son had just called and she could not, no longer go with her. But this woman leaned out of the car and saw there were cameras on the house. She backed the car up and raced down the street. Now, I'm quoting. Carol said, that bitch is crazy. <laughs> and you got in her car, even if it was for two yeah. minutes. You literally just saved your life right there by getting out of the car. Go with your gut feeling. Oh. Proof. The crazy woman was Pam. The camera footage proved that. I mean, her her face was very clear. Pam, who had been driving around this area of town, an area, as I said before, people would jump at the chance of $1,000 for a small gig on Dateline. But Carol figured it out and saved her life. Lewis was not so lucky. Now remember, he had mental and physical disabilities. This is the man that she picked up. So she literally just picked him up and brought him to her house. Yes. Makes a call and then shoots him. Yes. Oh, my god! He's an innocent, totally innocent man. She used him to frame Russ. Sorted like Tracy Richter did, too. Right? You gross. can hear his it's voice in the background. And he definitely doesn't have a, a threatening sound tone to his voice at all at all it's like he's asking her a garbled question but it's not it's not threatening police discovered that the nine hundred dollars that was found in his pocket was sequentially numbered and the numbers also lined up with the money found in pam's room so she literally Mm -hmm. grabbed a hunk of money put it in his pocket before police arrived the knife that he had was bought at a dollar store by pam this is proven with the store footage The paper with the note was torn from a notebook in Pam's house. And Pam's (laughs) cell phone pinged in Lewis's neighborhood an hour before the shooting. Pam was arrested and brought in for questioning. Investigators left Pam... Oh, this is just crazy to see. Investigators left Pam in the interrogation room alone for just a few minutes. 
and the camera in the room was still running. So you see Pam sitting at this table. She knows she's caught. She she knows she can't get out of this. She can make all the stupid reasons up that she wants. You can see her kind of looking at something on the table and then sliding her hand just really slowly. It was a pin she was looking at, a ballpoint pin. Sliding her hand to it and then casually sliding her hand back behind a water bottle. And then she dropped her hand for a little bit. So the pin's now behind the water bottle. She reaches up again really slowly, grabs the pen, and sticks it in in the back of her pants. Okay, now she's got the ballpoint pen. When investigators returned, Pam asked to use the bathroom, where she proceeded to repeatedly stab herself in the neck and wrist with the ballpoint pen. Oh my gosh. When the policewoman rushed into the... She was taking so long, the policewoman went in. There was blood everywhere. I mean, it was a bloody, bloody scene. But, unfortunately for Pam, she failed at her suicide attempt. The wounds were dressed and her arrest continued. Um, You'll see her arrest photo that pops Mm -hmm. up and I'll try to post that picture. But I always wondered, what the heck did she have around her neck? Because she's got this white stuff going around her neck that looked like a, almost like when you go to the hairdresser. And it used to be that you got your hair dyed or whatever, and they put this stuff around your neck with, um, you know, gauze or whatever that would absorb. Yeah. Okay, that's what it looked like. Any color. And I was thinking, oh, wow, wow, that looks weird. Well, now you know why. It was gauze that was put (laughs) on on her neck from her suicide attempt. Yes. So she's in the picture. She's wearing this gauze necklace. (laughs) And... She's got that silly smirk on her face. Now, I don't know whether that's her natural look. Maybe it is. Maybe she has this natural look that just yeah. looks like a smirk. But she's very arrogant. You can tell that by talking, you know. By talking to by her. By talking, <laughs> yes. I personally talk to her. Um, no, the uh, police footage and everything. You could just, she's very arrogant. She's very nice, extremely nice. She's very, uh, I don't want to insulting here but she's very plain looking um she's kind of mm-hmm. heavier set i mean when she got arrested heavier set she's no longer heavy set she lost a lot of weight in prison but like you would see her and go she's not a killer she's there's no way that woman is a killer wow okay in 2019 pam pleads an alfred plea to avoid the death penalty which she was certain to get for the murder of lewis if the case went to trial Now, with this plea, as we have said before, the person does not admit to the crime, but does admit that there is plenty of evidence proving them guilty. Pam was sentenced to life without parole. The murder of Lewis prompted prosecutors to reopen, no, these are new prosecutors, not the bad one, (laughs) to reopen Betsy's case. And in July 2021, Pam, who was then 62, was charged with the first-degree murder of Betsy Faria, to which she pleaded not guilty. A prosecutor, Mike Wood, stated that he would pursue the death penalty for this crime. He and Pam are still awaiting the trial in the Faria case. As for the death of Shirley Newman, her mother, her death was changed from accidental to unknown, but there is no investigation into her death. Mm. Pam Hupp is currently incarcerated at the Chile Chilacothi. Chilacothi? Yes, that one. 
Correctional Center. <laughs> I even wrote it out like it sounds. Didn't help me. Happy that you knew it. Now, if I'm allowed in closing, I would like to say I agree with Carol. Pam Hupp is one crazy bitch. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, but I totally agree with Carol. I mean, from the text you sent me a few days ago, you're like on a kick now with this verbiage, with your bad words. <laughs> my bad, bad words. Bitch is not even close to what was in my text. So <laughs> No, no. Just saying. Nowhere close to what was in the text, no. <laughs> oh, that's horrible. I'm happy that she was caught, but so many innocent lives had to be changed and ruined oh she was just i don't know and on the outside she was such a good person she helped a lot of people she was very helpful yeah but she was just greedy 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 uh dateline did an excellent segment on on this case um which is actually what i watched and then got interested in it but they really did a good job on following the timeline and everything so if anybody is interested of course, there's the, what, what's about, what, what was that? What's about Pam? The thing about Pam, sorry. The thing about Pam, that series, and that would probably be worth watching also. Mm -hmm. So there you go, Pam Hupp. Mm. Well, thank you for sharing Miss Hupp with us. Yeah. Okay. What do I have for a haunting? The place I'm covering is actually a place I've had on my list of, like, we must visit for a while <laughs> oh, now. Oh, that list. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, like, this is only 40 minutes from my house, so there really is no excuse as to why we shouldn't go and visit this place. Uh, I will be covering the house on the hill, hence the cocktail <laughs> name. Uh, it's the Beatty Mansion in St. Joseph, Missouri. Now, around here, we call it St. Joe. It's not St. Joseph. So if I go back and forth on St. Joe, St. Joseph, it's the same place. It's in I would have totally related to St. Joe. I'm like St. Joseph. Uh, I know. Huh? Around here, <laughs> we call it St. Joe, but its actual name is St. Joseph, Missouri. This house is incredible for its historical value, but the paranormal experiences here, well, let's just say it's very rare to go and not experience anything. Yeah. You will always experience something. Another one of those places, mansion. and yet we've not been there. Okay, Beth. I know. This little girl has to come out, and she has to, because, <laughs> you know, we're not going to do anything with her. No, I don't want to be pregnant and do investigations. Nope, that nope, nope, nope. Bothers me. But the history in this place is what, I mean, granted, I'm going to go over all the hauntings and everything, too, but, like, the history of the Beatty Mansion is just, it's fascinating to me, and maybe because... We went to college across the river from St. From Joe or the fact that it is only like 40, 45 minutes from where I live. Uh, I know I've driven by the Beatty Mansion a couple times oh. before. So I, I would just really like to go. But the history is, is a bit suspicious to me, some of it. Okay, so it was built by Armstrong Beatty for he and his wife, Eliza. Now, today, the home has two wings. There's the east wing and the west wing. They added a wing for the home's later use, like later on. But back when Armstrong and Eliza lived there, they just lived in the east wing area of the mansion. 
It was a very large and grand home of its time. Armstrong was very wealthy. He was St. Joseph's first full-time banker and later on would become mayor of St. Joseph. Saint, this is weird saying St. Joseph. St. Joe. <laughs> they liked him so much, he was reelected another four times. Wow. So he was mayor for five terms. I don't think the terms were the same like they are now, which is four years. He was elected in 57, 58, 60, 66, and 76. Okay. But he's the only person to this day that has ever been the mayor of St. Joe for five terms. Now, here's where the suspicion comes in. We know all about Mr. Beatty. He was born in Virginia, moved to Missouri when he was 10. His father died, and he worked in Columbia as a hat maker. He moved to St. Joe eventually in 1852, starting a bank and then building his home in 1854. But we know nothing about his wife, Eliza. We know her maiden name was Snotty. It's S-N-O-D-D-Y. But like we hear about how Armstrong was so active and in the community, city council, and then being mayor, but nothing ever about Eliza. Armstrong was this beloved, well-known businessman in the area. His place in the community was described in the St. Joseph Gazette on January 1st, 1878. Quote, no man has exercised a greater influence upon the character of business stability, integrity, and progress of our city than Mr. Beatty. We are all greatly indebted to him. He has made his way in the world by unswerving integrity energy, industry, and business capacity. No man is more widely or favorably known among the bankers of the West. Holy smokes. But never anything ever about Eliza. The two never had children, although they did take in a niece and a nephew when their parents fell into some financial issues. And I think their father died and their mother remarried. I'm not exactly sure. But I know the niece and the nephew did move into the Beatty Mansion for a time. Eventually, I think Armstrong created a partnership with the nephew as well in the bank. But now here is more odd things. So in 1878, Armstrong dies and the doctor deemed it cholera. Now, cholera is an infection of the intestine, a pretty horrible illness from dirty water or food. But... Uh, and I'm not a doctor, but from what I understand, it's like this drawn out, like people really suffer with this illness. It's a lengthy death from what I read. Mm-hmm. Again, I could be wrong, but that's what I found in my research. So like he's alive and well on Monday. Then he goes unconscious on Tuesday and then he dies on Thursday. Huh? And then it was deemed cholera. But I thought you said it was a long extended illness. Cholera normally is, but all of his symptoms that he died from, the doctor said it was cholera. Now, some people suspect that he was poisoned because I guess that can show some of the same symptoms, but it was deemed cholera. And then when he died, he left Eliza with the house and all the furniture in it, but no money. Oh, gosh. Eliza, who we don't know anything about, and she has no money. How is she going to take care of the house? Now she just has this grand house and all of his millions of dollars. Yes, you heard me. Millions of dollars 
He left two nieces and nephews and she has other no family money. Members. There was like a bunch of money that was unaccounted for in the will, and I think that's because it went to the city. But no, he was he didn't not leave her with anything but the house. Oh my <laughs> gosh, that's terrible. Eliza died two years later in 1880. Yeah, starvation. <laughs> I think I would like to think I I hope that the niece or the nephew that she helped raise, hopefully they stayed in the house or helped her or gave her something like I don't know. Yeah. But after her death, the house was sold to Luba, the Ladies Union Benevolent Association. Okay. And they turned the home into something with a really fun name. And I say that facetiously because the name is awful. <laughs> so they housed in this mansion the homeless. They were sex workers as well as children and infants of sex workers. They were just dropped off there. Yeah. Mentally ill people were housed there and they named it Home for the Friendless. Oh, I mean, that might be horrible? in a description in a, of the home, but that's the name of the home. That's the name of the home. Oh. Home for the Friendless. Oh. Hey, Kathy, where are you at? Oh, I'm at the home for the friendless. Well, she wouldn't be talking to Kathy because she wouldn't have any friends. <laughs> <laughs> we shouldn't be laughing. That's so sad. Oh. <laughs> it stayed as the home for the friendless for about 15 years when the city added the large west wing of the home and turned the building into the memorial home for the aged. It stayed as this for 100 years. 100? Oh. Yeah. In 1995, Luba, who still owned the mansion, moved the aged to another location and used the mansion for a home for those suffering with mental illness and substance abuse. And it remained that way for about nine years. Then in 2004, private owners purchased the mansion and they, they really wanted to turn it into a B&B, a bed and breakfast. Uh, so this building is huge now. You have both wings. It's 18,000 square feet, Whoa. like 34, 36 bedrooms. It's, it's huge. Oh. And with its history and it's like right there on Main Street in St. Joe, it'd be a perfect location for a historical bed and breakfast. Like, it would. But the spirits of those who reside in the mansion would not let the owner make it into a bed and breakfast. Not allow the owner how, how to turn so? it into a bed and breakfast. The activity of the spirits scared away any contractor or construction crew or groundskeeper or anybody that ever tried to take on the house. It's that active. Oh. There's just so much going on in that house that people just or spooked or just uncomfortable with the dream of a bed and breakfast not looking like an option the owner and again it could be that mixed with the fact that i'm sure it would cost him a lot of money this place is huge yeah so the owner calls a local paranormal group to help figure out like what's happening who is haunting can we like do an exorcism get them out of here like what can we do and the group he called was Apex Paranormal. And those that have been following us, listening to us for a while, I did. I've done a couple tours with Apex Paranormal. I've worked with Elijah. He's one of the lead investigators. I think the most recent one we did was in Independence, the Vale Mansion. 
they're awesome. They're a really great group of people. I can't wait to have this baby and go on another investigation <laughs> with them. Like I said, Elijah is great. And he was the one that was called by the owner of the Beatty Mansion to come out. And so Apex Paranormal, they do a lot of investigations now. They like to teach people about the history of places. And they're really into historical aspects of places. And they do do personal, like, if I was to call them up and be like, my house is haunted, can you come help me? They also do that. But he said that a majority of the time, like 90% of the time, he can debunk personal homes being haunted. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Okay. With different theories or different things. So he doesn't do a lot. He doesn't service a lot of private residents anymore. Um, but they were going out to St. Joe to investigate something else. And they got this call from the owner of the Beatty Mansion. And they're like, because again, it's just a private residence at this point. Oh, true. Okay. Okay. And they're like, okay, well, we're going to be out there so we can stop in for like an hour and talk to you. So they arrive and the owner is sitting in his car. The owner wouldn't even go into the house. Yeah. And so they follow him up these stairs. Now it's called House on the Hill for a reason. I'm going to send you a couple pictures. We're going to post them on our website and our social media. There is like the road. And then, I mean, it looks like a mile up this hill. In most houses, it's not a mile, I'm exaggerating, but most houses near the river like that, and mom knows, like in St. Joe, and then across the river in Atchison, the houses are set up on hills, Uh probably because of the river, and it's all on a hill and everything, but so you have the main road, and then like a brick, like fence, and then you have like 800 stairs that lead up this hill to this House. I mean, it is a lot of stairs. of stairs. So they walk up all these stairs, which is another reason I should probably have this baby before we go, because golly, just walking up two flights of stairs yes. in my house, <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> uh, so as soon as the team walks in, literally within five minutes of walking into the foyer, they witness a shadow figure that was so vivid and clear Elijah thought it was a real human being that like kind of follows along the wall and then dipped into one of the rooms. And then like within another 10 minutes, they see another shadow figure and like they had just stepped into this house. This was during the day. Oh, my God. is out and there's see, this much activity. Proof of what we have mentioned before. It doesn't have to be dark for these spirits to be alive because... Alive. <laughs> Alive. <laughs> to be active. Uh, you know, they're active all the time. They're there all the time. There was so much activity. Apex was like, yeah, we're coming back. So they went back a second time, a third time. And then again, they really like to try to debunk things. So they're right. like, have we been investigating too long? Are we going crazy? Like, Let's get other teams in here. So they had some other teams come in just to make sure they were really (laughs) seeing all this stuff, hearing all this stuff. And there was the activity is just more rampant. And all the investigators that I've heard interviews from or where I've watched documentaries on the Beatty Mansion, the longer you're in there for, the more activity, it's like the spirits get more comfortable with you and the more activity is had. So like Nick Groff. Uh, from mm-hmm. 
old ghost adventures. He had his new show called Paranormal Lockdown, and they went to Beatty Mansion. And he does it kind of similar to Ghost Adventures, except he sticks to the old old routine, the old shtick <laughs> of lock us in here. But he has them lock him in the building for 72 hours. Alone? So it's not or is just he with somebody. No, he has he has a partner. But he's in there for 72 hours. And that again was proof and he said it too. Like the longer you're in this place, the more activity. It's it's crazy. So the home is in okay shape. Not the best shape. It does need some repairs. But people aren't allowed to repair it. This is back when Apex was called. And he couldn't open it as a bed and breakfast. Couldn't afford that. And so now it's kind of like a money pit. And he was considering selling it. And Apex was like, no, you you can't sell this place. The history here is too incredible. Now, you're not going to make gobs of money. But... If you open up the space for paranormal investigations, people will come. Yeah, this place is going to sell itself. It's not even like you have to go put out tons of advertisements or what have you. There's so much activity in this house. It's going to sell itself. You're not going to be making a ton of money, but this is going to help educate the field of paranormal. This could be really, really good for a lot of people. And at least you could bring in some money where you can fix the repairs that need to be done and what Mm -hmm, have you. mm -hmm. Apex, like myself, and like I've mentioned, they love history of homes. They love to really learn about who is haunting, why they're haunting, and not just, there's a sound, oh, run, like a lot of things we see on (laughs) the Travel Channel, not naming any names. Now, let's talk about some of the known ghosts at the Beatty Mansion. First off, I have to mention just the sad, sad history. I mean, home of the friendless, then the aged, then the mentally ill and those suffering from substance abuse. I mean, I mean, full respect, but those are people I'm sure that just had so much sadness in their lives. And so many demons, right? Yeah. And from reports of the home... The sadness lingers in some of the rooms. There's a lot of just feelings of like, either I'm just really sad in this room or I should not be in this room. Probably a lot of heavy heaviness. Mm -hmm. And that, unfortunately, I know that's not a sight or a sound or anything like that that you can report. But a lot of investigators are just like, I feel like I should not be in here. This person wants to be alone or exactly. This just feels really heavy in here. Now, there are no evil entities at the Beatty Mansion. None have been reported. So this is another reason I want to go. Okay. Another reason. I'm sorry. (laughs) Picking on ghost adventures, but another reason why they haven't visited. That's probably right. And I'm kind of happy that they haven't because they'd probably turn it into some big demonic horror, tragedy, even. I I don't know. Anyway, Um, there are a lot of ghosts there in and on the grounds of the mansion. But the known spirits, like I said, are that of Armstrong and Eliza, supposedly. That's what they say. Armstrong and Eliza are the most known there. Armstrong can be heard whistling and walking around in the east wing. So that was the only wing that was around there at the time when he was okay. alive. Uh-huh. And I wonder what he whistles. Is it just a random you know whistling I mean? sound or is it an actual tune? They weren't specific on what he's whistling, but... 
which whistling herd. Now, Eliza, she's the most known spirit there. And oh, that she's is very so active. sad. She isn't known in life, but she's known in her spirit form. Okay, that is sad. I didn't think about it that way. But think about it. This was her only thing that she was left. This was yeah. her only thing to hold on to that was hers. So I bet she is there. And it doesn't sound like she left the house very much when she was alive. So it's like... Mm, who knows? Wow. Who knows? <laughs> but, you know, think think about that. Like, this is... She watched over the house. This is her only thing, her only tangible thing to hold on to that was hers. Right. In death, I can imagine she's still like, yeah, this is mine. That kind of makes sense to me. Um. So she still keeps an eye on the house. And some people reported that she's not the biggest fan of males in some resources. That's what no. it said. They know it's her because she's named herself on several EVPs. Her name came forward on Spirit Box in that Nick Groff show I mentioned. I also watched a YouTube video and I'll put all the links to those. There's a really, really good YouTube video I watched. I think I name it later. But Eliza comes forward a lot like, who am I talking to? And it says Eliza. So she's been named. She's named herself. So that's how they know it's her. Okay. So they say that Eliza was a big fan of music. And the two pianos that are in the home will play tunes now and again. Like you'll hear a couple notes play. There's two pianos in the house. And you'll hear a couple notes play on the piano just very randomly. Uh-huh. So the owner of the home lived in like Florida for a time. And I don't know his whereabouts, but he had this caretaker that he hired to watch over the house back when he had construction crews coming in and out. Okay. And the caretaker, he slept there. And one night he woke up to what sounded like literally a party going on. That has to be coming from outside. It's so loud. So he looks out the window, opens the window, and it's not coming from outside. He's like, holy cow, that's coming from in the house. So he closes the window and he opens the door to his room and he starts walking down the hall and then everything just like stopped. That would be so scary. Jeez. Well, think about how long that music was going on for too. It wasn't just like a bleep little yeah. clinks of glass, you know, you know what I mean? Like that had to have been going on for a while that he lay in bed and listened to it, got irritated enough to look outside to see if it was coming from outside, right. opens his door, starts walking down the hallway and then it no. stops. In the kitchen, they have activity with children's spirits as well as apparitions. But there's a child, her name is Mabel, that haunts a bedroom upstairs as well. This was her room. They have it documented. She was an orphan on the property and she died on the property. And again, this was all documented. So, I mean, this could be her in this room. Mm -hmm. uh, she said to haunt one of the bedrooms there. They have like dolls and toys in there for her now. Now, okay, here's where I get suspicious of hauntings in a place like this. So, yes, Eliza has named herself in EVPs and on spirit boxes. But, like, there were so many people in this house. There has to be so many documented deaths, I would assume. It was a home for the aged for over 100, for 100 years. Yes, definitely. Like, how do they know that that's Armstrong whistling? And how do they know that that child spirit they see is Mabel and not some little boy residual spirit that hung out in that room at that time or oh, came I to visit you. grandma yeah. and, and really liked that house? Or I love the history of these places. And I think 
I've always thought it'd be really cool to own my own like historical place and do just throw myself into the research of that house to see who's haunting it and like really, really, really know who it is. That sounds kind of creepy because it's like you're forming relationships with the dead. But (laughs) but do you know what I mean? Like I want to really trust who it is that I'm communicating with in the house. Like they say that Eliza loved music and she's the one that played the piano. We don't know anything about Eliza. No. So how do you know that she loves music? According to you. And Eliza, that was a popular name at one point. So how do we know it's the Eliza? That's a really good point, too. (laughs) (sighs) Okay. Um, In the basement, that's where people get the feeling that I'm not supposed to be here. Like a bad, like just a heavy, heavy feeling down there. Some people, no, okay, so some research said that that slaves were kept down there at a time or the help was kept down there when this was a private residence for the babies. Other resources said it was the caretakers that slept down there, just in general, the caretaker slept down there. Um, But there is this like angry entity down there. He's not aggressive or mean, but it's said to be a male energy and he's just grumpy. Possibly, again, it could be an old caretaker that's just like, ugh, more people coming down here. Like, leave me alone. I just cleaned the floors. <laughs> this is my place down here. Go away. But they say his name is George. Oh, no. So they say his name is George. Why? I don't know. Is it documented that there was a caretaker named George? I don't know. I, I, I have no idea. But the owners call the grumpy old man energy down in the basement george nice and one podcast uh one podcast i listened to it's called the tipsy ghost they're a local podcast here in kansas city they actually started their podcast around the same time we started ours Mm -hmm. they're awesome it's just three best friends and they do ghost hunts like real ghost investigations and sip a couple cocktails beforehand and which we will do also because i don't know if i can go in there totally sober (laughs) (laughs) yeah i don't blame them at all um but they go to a lot of really cool places it's a great podcast give it a listen they're a hoot to listen to they're just they're really funny a little plug for them but they didn't i think it was like episode two where they went to the baby mansion and apparently george likes this red bucket that they have in the basement and at one point the bucket was removed or taken from the home and there was like a ton of activity in the basement he just started acting up until the owners were like maybe he wants his red bucket back so they put the red bucket back down there and then it stopped wow i thought that was kind of funny now these are the known and i use that with bunny ears named spirits there are many others lots of footsteps loud boop steps the staircase is really active you know those staircases yeah some say that it's eliza watching over her home standing at the second floor landing looking down at visitors others say that on one of the staircases because there's a lot of staircases this place is huge that a sex worker had hung herself back in the day i guess this was documented there's a ton of shadow figures um like black like fog swirls in the ceiling people will see but a lot of figures kind of like i explained earlier with that apex saw it literally looks like a human being like a shadow of a human crossed in front of them in the hallway or kind of glide across the wall and then dip into one of the rooms lots of evps 
lots of orbs and photos. Uh, so the YouTube video I watched, again, I'm going to link it. It's on the channel called Amy's Crypt. And it was really sad because her spirit box kept saying, why am I here? Where oh. am I? Like clear as day. That was real. It, like multiple times it said that. So that was really sad. And then on Nick Groff's episode, they kept getting somebody coming through saying, I'm so sorry. It's my fault. And things like that. There's just a lot of tormented souls, I feel like, that are. Yeah. It could just be residual, but it just just seems really sad. The home is open for investigations, like mom and I are going to (laughs) do. It's it's $400 to rent out the whole place. Uh, You check in at 5 o'clock and you check out at noon the following day. And the four hundred dollars is for a group of five. You check out. Oh, stop it! <laughs> stop it! It's for five guests, and you can add more guests for a cost. There is working plumbing, a refrigerator, and a microwave on site. There's plenty of room for your own mattresses, cots, and sleeping bags. That's what the website said. But from what I understand, there's no working heat. Oh, so we're gonna go. In the spring or fall. If you don't like the Missouri cold or don't want to experience the Missouri cold, you don't, trust me. <laughs> I would recommend maybe going in the spring, summer, or fall. Uh, not the summer. If they don't have a heater, then they don't have air conditioning. So. Oh, I didn't even think about that. That's why oh, I said yuck. the spring or fall. <laughs> but I honestly don't think you won't capture anything if you go. I think it would, it sounds like a paranormal gold mine. Like you're just going to get. Tons of activity. Okay. I'm I'm dying to go. I'm up for it. The owners just ask the guests to be responsible for no smoking, no alcoholic beverages, and no Ouija boards. I don't want to conjure up anything evil. Well, I mean, can you you go with somebody or do you have to pay $400? Or is there a team of investigators that go at some time that you could join them? I'm sure they do events. Yeah, I'm sure they do events and you could join them. And then that will obviously cost you a ticket to go join Mm -hmm. the event that's hosted there. I've seen that done a few times. Or like I said, you can, they have like cat balls and some equipment throughout the house that you can use. So if you want to like stay the night from five to noon, it's $400 for a group of five of you. Right. Which we had a camera crew reach out to us a while ago asking us if we wanted to do anything. Oh, that would be perfect. Might be fun. I was pregnant when they reached out to me last time. (laughs) Well, it was during COVID that they reached out. Yeah. And I was pregnant. And I said, I want to have this baby first before I do an investigation because I didn't want to do an investigation pregnant then. I said, I'll get back to you. And then life happened. And then... (laughs) Then she's knocked up again. And (laughs) if you're listening, I think this is our place. I'm going wow. to reach out to you in the next couple of weeks and we got to get this in the books because this seems awesome. Your list keeps growing. You know that? I know, but this one's like right down the road. So there's no excuse. But I think we've got two lists, maybe three lists going. One is for investigations. Two is to sample, wasn't it Bloody Marys? Yeah, it was like our Bloody Mary tour. Yep. <laughs> We could still do that. We can still drink Bloody Marys somewhere in St. Joe, I'm sure, serves Bloody Marys. <laughs> if not, we make our own. That's what we bring. Well, you can't bring it there. We'd have to bring, we'd have to drink it outside and then go inside. Oh, okay. Got to follow the rules, mom. Dang it. Okay. Well, that's going to be fun. It's going to be scary as heck for me, but that's going to be fun. 
I've just never witnessed it. I mean, you know, we did witness that sound every time you asked, is there somebody there when we were in the tunnels in Astoria? Astoria. But, Mm -hmm. you know, was that really something? I don't know. I think you'll be just fine once you get into it. I love it. It's such a thrill. It is. It's really, really cool. Okay. But I think it's just, I think it's really hard to narrow down like, yeah, I'm talking to Eliza. When you've had this home open for hundreds of years with hundreds and hundreds of people that have lived and gone through this house to sit here and be like, yes, I am speaking with Eliza. Right. Okay. That's true. I agree. There's going to be activity. You just don't know who you're talking to. (laughs) You just don't know who you're talking to. Right. I'd like to witness the party. That sounds like a good time. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds scary as hell. I'm sorry. (laughs) Just like, I would freak out. I would literally freak out. And then it just randomly starts and randomly stops. Or hearing just the piano play, just a couple notes. Yeah. Or the whistle. Oh, or whistling. Yeah. Oh, or seeing a shadow figure. I think any of that would actually be kind of spooky. (laughs) Yeah. Now I see why you... Now I see why you asked if there was going to be a team there or if we were just going to be there by ourselves. I'm not going there by now myself. I, I get you. <laughs> I'm not going there by myself. Now that I've spooked myself out in my basement <laughs> right now, I get it, Mom. I get it. Oh, well, that is our episode 129 for the state of Missouri. All the resources for this one will be on our website killerhangoverpodcast.com mm-hmm. links to the amy's crypt youtube video i recommend you just browsing that and watching it because you can see this house again just visualizing this house is i think needed it's it's pretty cool looking uh it's not like a lot of homes that i've investigated in where it's like really kind of been redone and made to look like the times right it's still kind of run down They've done some work to it, obviously, where you can go through it, but they have they have a lot of work on their hands. It's a very large building. Well, 34 bedrooms? It's 18,000 square feet. That's crazy. Yeah. That's like, I'm not even going to try to do the math. That's like really, really big. That's like really, really big. <laughs> uh, Patreon. You can always check us out there. We are doing... A video podcast for Patreon members now, so you get to see our lovely faces and <laughs> listen to us too. I don't know. We're giving it a try. We've gotten really good feedback from it, so we might even start putting those videos out. Not the Patreon videos. That's just for our patrons, but episodes like this, we'll probably start doing a video for and putting it on the YouTube. No, for the fun of it, if you want to see us gabbing. Okay, it will be fun because Beth can't edit a whole lot of stuff when it's out there on video. So you will hear us blah, 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 blahing and (laughs) things she cannot cut out. I said something earlier and Beth is like, yeah, I'm cutting that out, Mom. Well, she won't be able to. (laughs) Not Uh, in a video I wouldn't be able to. (laughs) All right. Well, where can they find us? We are on all the socials. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook. Again, our website, KillerHangoverPodcast.com. If you have any recommendations on drinks or stories, you can email us at KillerHangoverPodcast at gmail.com. Well, this was fun. This was fun. It's officially past my bedtime. 
and I'm sure you are hungry for dinner. And I'm it's sunset right now and the sun it's a beautiful sunset. So I'm gonna let you blah, go so I can blah, watch blah. the sunset. Go enjoy go enjoy the beach. Oh. Grab my baby monitor and go crawl into my bed. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, mama. Cheers. Love you, kid.